open wide and tuck in to Spoon It with Mark Wogan, the brand new visualized podcast where Mark takes you on a unique culinary journey, blindfolded. With a dollop of lighthearted chat, a spoonful of hilarious blindfolded food tasting, and a sprinkle of top tier guests like Jimmy Carr, Claudia Winkleman, and Joe Wicks. In partnership with Gressingham Duck, download their free recipe booklet for tips to dine in with Duck. Check out delicious new episodes of Spooning with Mark Wogan every Thursday. Welcome to Mariella Meets. I'm Mariella Frostrup, and each week I'll be bringing you a selection of the best interviews from our favorite guests. Movers and shakers from the worlds of art and entertainment, politics, business, music, and wider society to discuss everything from their latest endeavors to career highlights and early beginnings. Intimate, in-depth talk with pioneering talents and fascinating folk discussing the stuff that matters to them and how they scaled the slippery slopes of success. Let's talk about Don McLean. He is, of course, one of America's most enduring singer-songwriters. Since first hitting the charts in 1971, he's amassed over 40 gold and platinum records worldwide and in 2004 was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. I started singing bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. Them good old boys were drinking whiskey and rye and singing you just can't help but love that tune, can you? Don was just 26 when he wrote American Pie, the song that's been the subject of academic studies, a melodic metaphor, if you will, for the state of America in the late 60s, and, of course, a karaoke classic the world over. It's been covered by everyone from Madonna to Tyson Fury, and the original handwritten lyrics sold in 2015 for $1.2 million, the third highest auction price ever for an American literary manuscript. Don McLean is celebrating 50 years of American Pie with a UK tour in 2022. I spoke with him earlier and started by asking him how he'd describe his relationship with the song American Pie 50 years since its release. Uh, it's the same as it always has been. It's a uh, tool. It's something that I, I'm proud of. Um, and in terms of my working on stage, you know, I have touchstones and moments in the show, just like you know, a great group like the Stones would have satisfaction, you know, or something like that. It's it's something that you ought to be happy about and thankful for uh, because the audience wouldn't be there if you didn't have it. So, yeah, it's not a it's not really an emotional relationship. It's more like a um, a business partnership or something like <laughs> that. You know, they, this is what they come for. I love singing the songs. Not just that song, but Vincent and Castles in the Air and Winterwood and Crying and And I Love You So and Empty Chairs and Crossroads and dozens and dozens of others that millions of people know. Uh, but they're all old, too, you know. And I guess they're not as 
self-defining, if you would, as American Pie in terms of other people. I mean, I'm sure you don't define yourself uh, by American Pie. And as you say, there are so many other classic songs that you've written, and we're going to go on to talk about, you know, all of that. But but I just sure. wonder, like, I sometimes think, you know, I talk to novelists a lot as well. And, and if mm. there's one book that you've written that mm. everyone always refers back to, I think there can be also a sense of frustration where you just think, for heaven's sakes, there's more to me than that. I don't do that. I really, I, I got over that ages ago. I don't do that. I'm thankful. This is the hand I was dealt. It's a very good hand. It's lasted for 50 years and I don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Um, you know, I just don't do that. It's, it's a pointless to do that. You know, why are you trying to fight uh, the tide, the tide of, of a public acceptance? It's, it's, you're not strong enough to do that. The best you- thing is to just realize that you're lucky that this happened and this is the shape of things and this is how you work with it. Have you been surprised by the amount of analysis uh, the lyrics have received? Did you set out to be mysterious? No, I didn't. Um, I, I wrote the song like everything else I've ever written for myself. I'm not a hit songwriter. I'm not a pop songwriter. I'm, an, I'm more of an inventor. I, I have these notions, these ideas, these philosophical ideas, whether it's the grave or, or a song like Prime Time about America as a game show um, or whatever that might be. Or the, and then I try to create a completely new lyric style and musical style to express that as, for, for example, Vincent. Um, completely different from American Pie, completely different from Castles in the Air. They're all different, and they're all different notions, different ideas. If, if I'm not a pop songwriter. I'm not a brill-building guy. I admire those people, um, Neil Sedaka and, you know, um, uh, Carol King and so many other great songwriters. I'm not one of those people. I'm, I'm off the walls uh, completely, and so... When you ask me, you know, does it bother me that American Pie is gigantic? No, it fits right in with my profile of something. I would create something that is enormous and then something that is tiny, you know, because I'm not aware of the uh, 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 the size of things. I'm only following ideas. That's all I do. And do you see yourself as a storyteller in your songs? Because I think one of the the things that really marks them out and that is something that you could say uh, connects them all is that you are telling a tale. You know, you want to listen from the beginning to the end. It's not that it just repeats all the time, but you're going somewhere with your lyrics. Well, my uh, my aunt, uh, my aunt Anne, my mother's sister, um, she wrote me a beautiful letter when my mother died. And she said, your songs are like prayers. Beautiful thing to say, you know. I thought, you know, she's right in a way, you know. It's a, they're prayers that I have for people and prayers that I have for um, whatever the subject matter is. Um, I, I sometimes will tell a tale, but, you know, I don't do it in like, let's say, whoever wrote the story of the ballad of Billy the Kid you know, and told all the 20 verses of how Billy the Kid got shot in the back and all the rest of it. I don't do that. But I do incorporate people's essences into songs sometimes and try to capture that. That's the fun. 
is working with music is, is music is supposed to describe the indescribable and express the inexpressible. That's what you're looking for. You're looking for magic. You're not looking for money. You're not looking for another Don McLean song that sounds like Don McLean. I don't even know what I do. I have no idea what I do. I swear to God, that is not a, a glib answer. I do not know how I got here no i think that's fair enough i mean you know anyone asked to analyze exactly how they put something together would probably struggle unless it's something to do with science where there's equations and things uh, but so you've been very ambiguous about the the lyrics uh, of american pie over the years and i suppose the one phrase that people return to over and over again and and you've said it is the day the music died and you've you've said that Buddy Holly's untimely death in a plane crash was your initial inspiration. That's not necessarily what you meant by the day the music died. Is that an expression for the end of an era? And is it something that you felt many times since then? Well, the interesting thing about the song is that each uh, lyric, as the song builds, and it builds along with the, the six verses, each time the, the next verse is sung, then when you're talking about that, it all happens on that day. So each verse is another thing that happened on that day that the music died. So you're layering, you know, what it is that happened on that day. So it starts with Buddy Holly, but then it keeps layering and going forward politically and musically and emotionally and however you want to say it. Um, so that was the idea of, of, of that. But I, I, I mentioned, you know, James Dean in the song. So if I want to say the king was Elvis, I would have said Elvis. If I want to say the jester was Dylan, I would have said Dylan. But 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 the king, in the case of that, is he had a thorny crown. Only Christ had a thorny crown. So there's a, a sense of um, trying to uh, be make a, a painting like a Monet or something like that, an uh, impressionistic um, thing, where uh, or a dream. I'm trying to capture something with words. That let's say the Beatles did with music in the day in the in the day in the life. I'm doing it with with words. Is it flattering then when when someone like Bob Dylan actually reacts? I mean, and again, this is a testament to how much this song has been analyzed. When 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 Bob Dylan actually reacts and and takes offense to the idea that he was the jester who steals the king's thorny crown, uh, you know, I mean, you've made it very clear he wasn't really in your mind at the time. He might be upset really, to hear that. <laughs> I don't really care one way or the other. So much has been said. I don't really care what's been said or who says it, really. I just know what I did, know why I did it. And uh, the main thing was we made a very good record that you can still listen to. You know, that's the key, you know, is making a record that is timeless. And Ed Freeman was the producer on that. And Ed Freeman and I made that record. And without him, I don't think we'd be talking about the song now. Last question on that song is just really why you think, I mean, we've talked about Dylan wondering whether he's the jester in it. We talked about people analyzing it and buying it for millions of millions of, uh, or millions of dollars. Why do you think it just keeps, people keep returning to it. People keep gnawing no on idea. it like a dog on a bone, you know. I have no idea. I have no idea. Um, it obviously is entertaining and it, it, it also has a, a way of um, starting with young children almost as a children's song 
and growing up in a family, fathers and daughters and mothers and daughters and sons and families will listen to it in the car. And it becomes kind of like a family friend. It grows up from the time the kids are little, little children and want to hear American Pie because there's all these little references in there, almost like uh, the old 1600s um, Jack Be Nimble, Jack Be Quick type of a thing. So I think it, it's got a lot of love. But again, this is an invention. Oh, and I, I don't want to say I love Bob Dylan. I love the early stuff he did. I, have, I had all his records when I was growing up uh, right through to Blood on the Tracks. I think when he changed into the Christian thing, I kind of lost him there. But uh, everything else I valued very much. And it made a big difference in my ability to try to, to challenge myself to think deeper and write things that perhaps were a little bit more uh, unique than I might even think I was capable of. So I don't want to get the wrong impression uh, anywhere about this. I think that the reason uh, this is such an engaging uh, song that we're talking about as well is because it feels like a memoir. It feels like a, a, a story of growing up. And I wondered how much it reflects your own experience of growing up in upstate New York in New Rochelle. It's a, uh, well, it wasn't upstate. It was a, uh, what we would call a bedroom community, a suburb really of New York City. And it was a very stifling, uh, not a creative environment, not a certainly an environment where, you know, let's say in the Ozarks or uh, in Tennessee or down South or out West, even perhaps where you might have family sing-alongs and, you know, music. No, this was not Nourishelle. This was a place that was a bedroom community, especially Larchmont Woods, which is where I was born. Kids were expected to toe the line and go to college and maybe get a master's and then get a job in the city. And I wrote a song, Castles in the Air, about leaving that all behind because I didn't want any part of the cocktail generation, which is my term for it and i still don't you know (laughs) no matter how successful i have become you find yourself morphing into that cocktail generation bullshit you know where you're at these suddenly you're acceptable you know and you're wearing a suit and you're talking to saying garbage to people i hate it and i will not do it so uh, nothing's changed so that's that was the kind of community it was but I was a paper boy. It's a very, and the only job I ever had was as a paper boy. So I cut those papers open and I saw the Buddy Holly story. And that stayed with me because I loved Buddy Holly probably the most of all back in 1959. And also Elvis and Gene Vincent and all the black uh, groups, you know, the five satins and the flamingos. And I mean, I'm, I'm crazy about that stuff. Uh, still am. I think it's the best music ever. So, and could you could you also engage with that sense of loss? You know, as I say, that the song starts or kicks off or was inspired by by the, the death of Buddy Holly, um, because I know you also lost your father actually at the same age that I lost mine when I was fifteen, and I'd say that's a pretty mm, very, defining very experience. Painful. Yeah, it's very painful because you 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 know it's like. You don't leave home. Home leaves you. You don't have a home anymore. That's what happens when you're that age. If you make it till 30 and that happens, well, you've already established roots in a different direction and you're, 
you know, and you've had that experience and now you're moving on into your adult life. But if you're 15, 14, whatever that is, 12, um, they're your whole life. When that goes, you're, you don't have a home anymore. So what happened to me was that I, I immediately, my father, when my father died, uh, he came into my room. He had a heart attack and he was clutching his chest and, and crying. And I had never seen my father be anything but very strong and commanding. And suddenly I jumped up out of bed and I said, come on, come in here. We're going to call the police. And he begged me, don't call the police because he was afraid he'd lose his job and everything would go down the tubes. I said, I'm calling the police. So when they took him down the stairs, he looked at me like, you did the right thing. You're a man now. And he died. And I was a man from that point on. I've been a man since I was 15. I know what I want to do. And I know how I feel about things because I had to make decisions. Uh, So that was interesting because I knew after he passed away, I fell in love with, and I was in love with music anyway, and all the stuff that was going on, my God, it was so exciting. You know, there was folk music and rock and roll and the pop music thing. And even Sinatra was doing great things, you know, and and capturing the college audience. It was fabulous. The Beach Boys, all that stuff. I knew I had to be part of this somehow. And I wouldn't have been able to do that had he been around because he would have been the representative of that community that I grew up in, which was that you're not going to do that. You know, you're going to be a respectable, you know, person with a real job. So I completely dropped out from that moment on, that night on. I was, and one thing after another happened. And so that's that's really me as an, a witness almost to all the things that happened in American Pie. I'm on the outside. I'm always on the outside. I'm still on the outside. I'm still on the outside. I've noticed that's that reading I'm, some of your quotes. Open wide and tuck in to Spooning with Mark Wogan, the brand new visualized podcast where Mark takes you on a unique culinary journey, blindfolded. With a dollop of lighthearted chat, a spoonful of hilarious blindfolded food tasting, and a sprinkle of top-tier guests like Jimmy Carr, Claudia Winkleman, and Joe Wicks. In partnership with Gressingham Duck, download their free recipe booklet for tips to dine in with Duck. Check out delicious new episodes of Spooning with Mark Wogan every Thursday. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You were talking there uh, about the death of your father, the tragedy that it was, the fact that that from that moment on you're you're forced to be a grown up and and that it also 
conversely liberated you uh, to step out into the world and to do the thing that you felt compelled to do. I think you you started playing guitar and singing in the Greenwich Village folk clubs. That was the very beginning of your musical career. Is that right? Well, um, you said something there. I just want to add something to that. Yeah, uh, You're liberated with a great deal of guilt. Yes. Because how can you possibly feel that, you know, losing your parent is a good thing and now I'm free. I didn't feel trapped. Yeah. I didn't even know I was trapped, but you know, I realized as I look back and said, well, my God, you know, I mean, I, I, I just don't want to say that, you know, I don't want to think that, mm. you know, but so there was a certain amount of guilt associated with, with that. But not only that, but I moved from a very straight life into a bohemian life. I, I became associated with people who were, uh, you know, straight out bohemians and hippies and communists and all sorts of fringe people that I felt were much more interesting and much more supportive of me as an artist, because I got the cold shoulder, you know, from everybody in, in where I grew up. They, they weren't aware of anything like that. They were, those were frightening people to them, but I wasn't afraid. They they were tumultuous times politically and, as you've described, really exciting times to be young. You know, music was, was, was taking all kinds of different shapes and it was a really, really, you know, feckin' time, but also a great time to be young. Do you recognise, like, the way um, youth responds today to what seems to me to be a, the same sort of turbulent political background? I don't buy into that, I'm afraid. Um for a number of reasons, we were uh, innocent until we were until Kennedy was shot, and then we realized that the government was doing this or capable of it, and we were didn't really want to think that, but we kind of thought, well, something's going on here. And then the Vietnam War and everything else continued on, and we suddenly, all of us, started changing and moving away again from that whole cocktail generation. Uh, everybody did, you know, I did it before they did it, but they all did it and we all did it. And um, now I think that you've had many decades of people being, uh, well, they're cynical, number one. And number two, political correctness prevents you from knowing what anybody really thinks. Nobody should be on one team or another where you everything you can be, you can pretty much be sure that if you're on the right, you're going to think this. And if you're on the left, you're going to think that that is not intellectual. That is the death of, intel, of intelligence and, and intellectual thinking. And the colleges are dead. You know, you can't go on the college campus and be a comedian and make fun of anything. Everybody is so offended. It's just the most ridiculous time that we live in now. It has nothing to do with the way it was in the 60s, in my opinion, because everybody is, is masking what they think. You don't know what they think. My daughter just did a project at school, and the title was, If You Want to Start a Revolution, Write a Song. Do you think that music still has that power to galvanize people in the way that it did when, when, when you first wrote American Pie and all the other songs like well, Vincent and so on? If, peop- if, you, if, if there was, were writers out there who were capable of writing that kind of song, but they're not anymore. 
because they are they're coming from a whole different generation of people who have values such as I just described. So they don't believe in anything enough to really set their foot down and say, this is, this is what I think, and to hell with everybody if you don't like it. No one's willing to do that. The, the songs uh, that you've written, I think there is a, a recurring sort of melancholy to them, if you will. I think Vincent is a very good yes. example. What, what was it about Vincent van Gogh that, that made you connect enough with what he was trying to say and do that, 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 that you know, provoked a song? You know, I don't know. Um, I was an unknown when I wrote that song, and I would write about anything that interested me. I was not somebody who thought I was all that good. I was all the time working to improve myself, my singing, my songwriting, my guitar playing, my performing. Um, I then began to make records, and I had to learn how to become a recording artist, which is a whole different thing. Um, I had to learn how to do interviews. I had to learn how to just there's so many art forms that somebody that does what I do has to know how to do. Uh, and um, so I have no idea why, but I, I do know, again, I had a good producer, Ed Freeman uh, on that record, American pie. We made a very beautiful version of that song and it followed American pie. So it managed to be a very unlikely hit record, which people loved and they still do. So I got two really, really good songs across to millions and millions of people. And that ain't easy. You know, that's not easy. It's not easy to get uh, people interested in two completely different songs and neither of them being you know, obvious pop songs, I suppose, if you will, uh, of the time. But but the the ingredient that, that it unites them, you say, is very elusive. Uh, I suppose if there was a formula, you could have just kept doing it over and over again. Well, I... I... I'm an artist, you know, mm. primarily. I'm not a commercial entity. I, I do things for myself. Everything I do, I do for myself. Every, uh, every record I make, I make entirely on my own. I do exactly what I want to do. And if it fails, it's okay with me. I don't think it's a failure. I do, I, I do what I'm out to do. I'm, I, I get what I'm after. And later on, People will maybe hear it and understand what I was after. Maybe I'm a little behind the curve. Maybe I'm way ahead of the curve, but I don't care what people think. And that's been the way from the very beginning. When I had nothing, that was my way. I'm going to do this the way I want to do this. And so in the first album, Tapestry, you know, you had Tapestry, which was about the environment you had Orphans of Wealth, about poverty. And then you had End I Love You So and Castles in the Air, which became standards. But I didn't care. You know, I didn't think that way. You know, what I do when I, I, I'm, I'm out to make albums, that's what I want to do. I want to make albums. I'm not interested in singles. Does it bother you? I, I, I absolutely like you. I love an album. I like to start at the beginning. I like to listen to it all the way through, mm. you know. And, and again, I suppose that's, that I feel that there's a sort of narrative to an awful yes, lot of right. records. Do, does it bother you now that all the, your tracks are now available on like, you know, all of those streaming services and, and nothing's kind of kept together in the shape it was originally intended? I don't get bothered by these things because that's the nature of the business and Again, you can't fight City Hall, as they say. Um, but no, it's not right. And if you're a real music fan, you should buy the 
the Tapestry album, buy the Don McLean album, buy the American Pie album, buy the album, listen to it from beginning to end. That's the experience that I had planned for you. But by the same token, and this is a good thing, a lot of albums. One time I remember seeing a Johnny Cash ad. He was Johnny was at his height. This was in the 70s or something. And they listed 60 albums that he had put out on Columbia Records since the 1950s. And all but about five were deleted. The wow. tiny little asterisks next to every one. Now, if it weren't for the internet, you'd never hear those records again. But now you can go and find those records on the internet and hear those records. So that's the good side of it all. It's all out there. It may not be in the form that I intended, but all 400 tracks that I've made, you can hear. So I think that's very good. You've talked about um, plowing your own furrow, and it feels like you're a person who likes to be very much in control of what yes. they do. I guess that's the reason you never joined a band, for no, example. No, I don't, I don't like bands. I don't want to be in a band. I don't want to have to worry about uh, someone else's opinion. I don't want, I don't want their opinion. Is it true uh, that you're taking that sort of a control uh, penchant for control a, a stage further in that you plan to sell off all your possessions? <laughs> well, that's not in control. That's losing control, isn't it? I oh, mean, I don't know. That's controlling <laughs> things after you're gone. Maybe that's you letting everything like that. <laughs> letting everything go. I mean, I, I I think you can see that two ways, right? I'm letting it all go. If I were controlling it, I would have a museum like Gene Autry. You know, and have everything I ever had in there, you know, under armed guard. No, I'm letting it go. I'm letting everybody, letting it out there, you know, that's goodbye, you know. So what are you letting go? Tell me what you're letting go. Oh, guitars and banjos and vintage watches. I'm a big watch collector and all kinds of cool Western stuff, saddles and hunting knives and guns. You've spoken about a desire to do nothing now for the rest of your life. So is that just an inducement (laughs) for us? We must get tickets for this tour because it could be the last. No, that won't be the last. I'll be around. I'm going to enjoy doing this and I hopefully will be one of the artists that will usher in a new normal after this uh, pandemic. And I say the pandemic has almost the same uh, letters is damn panic and that's what i think it's a damn panic and uh so i hope when it's over no i, I want to help uh people heal and get back and feel good and come to the shows and we'll put this behind us and i will be around um i'll probably be around in a different way i'm not sure i'll be doing like intensive touring but i'll be here there and everywhere and singing you know and all over the world as i always have i love it i couldn't give it up you know, and I'll be doing lots of things. Just, just finally, you would have been one of the vulnerable generation. I'm edging up to it. Uh, were you scared during the pandemic? Did it make you think about life and death and legacy and de- any of those things? <sighs> well, I don't think about legacy at all. I do think about life and death because I love living. I love people and I love so many things. And sometimes I focus on things now and I think, you know, while I'll look at some beautiful piece of architecture or some a flower or a bird or something saying man i wonder what it's like never to see that again you know and so i'll look a little longer at it you know and and think that way i think that's that's affected me Uh, but i'm very i'm hype i'm hyper almost about the about the use of my time 
at this stage in my life. And I'm also careful about what I say um, because words are very important. And um, in this world out there, you can't take them back, you know, once you said them. Never a truer word spoken. That was Don McLean. He celebrates 50 years of American Pie with a UK tour in 2022. Tickets are on sale now, and the tour starts on the 22nd of September 2022. Thanks for listening to Mariella Meets with me, Mariella Frostrup. There'll be more from the podcast next week, so make sure to download the free Times Radio app to never miss an episode. And don't forget, you can catch the live edition of my program every Monday to Thursday, 1 till 4 on Times Radio. Catch you next time. to Spooning with Mark Wogan, the brand new visualized podcast where Mark takes you on a unique culinary journey, blindfolded. With a dollop of lighthearted chat, a spoonful of hilarious blindfolded food tasting, and a sprinkle of top-tier guests like Jimmy Carr, Claudia Winkleman, and Joe Wicks. In partnership with Gressingham Duck, download their free recipe booklet for tips to dine in with Duck. Check out delicious new episodes of Spooning with Mark Wogan every Thursday 